folks, welcome back to the Brown Shag Carpet. I am Lori Pepitone here with my husband, Corey. We get to be pastors on staff at Rabbit Creek Church. I work with kids and families, and Corey works with our students and outreach. We are here today with a couple of our friends, uh, Elizabeth and Vivian, and we're, we're going to take this on the carpet. Uh, Elizabeth, would you share with these folks who you are? Hi, I'm Elizabeth Miller, and I've been a special education teacher for eight years um, here in Anchorage. And before that, uh, I taught um, a couple of years of first grade in Texas. Very cool. My name's Vivian, and I work in the Anchorage School District as a related services provider. Um, before I went into Education, I worked in the clinic as a therapist and um, in home and around town, all over the place. <laughs> um, I've worked with children from teeny tiny two-year-olds all the way up to adults. You're also our first brown shag carpet veteran. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, you were nice. with us in uh, one of our previous discussions on educational systems. Yes. So, And you were willing to come back and put up with us again. So yeah. thank you. You're yeah. welcome. And I failed to say, this is an, an additional episode in our series on uh, helping families navigate kiddos with neurological and medical differences. Um, and so these are some folks to come share their knowledge and experience with us. It's interesting. We, we, I probably should back up and say, this is not the discussion that we necessarily thought we were having this morning. I think it's better than that. Sure. Um, we sat down for an opening discussion with these ladies and realized that the information that they had that we most felt we needed to get to you guys was a question on how, as parents, do we work well with the school system um, that is there to provide support for our kids, and how can we do that in a way that best sets our kids up to succeed? Mm. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna run that direction this morning. But Elizabeth, why don't you kick us off? Um, tell us a little bit about if I'm a parent coming with a kid who is obviously having some difficulties in this class. Well, let's I say sometimes it's not obvious, but go ahead. Okay, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, or even just beginning, it's beginning to occur to me that maybe there are some things here. Tell me what we need to know. Yeah, so the first thing that if you have concerns about your child is um, I would say that you should reach out to your child's teacher and, and I would actually bring the principal in on that so that they're aware of it and can help follow through that process. Mm, can I actually ask you a question there? Mm -hmm. Is that considered aggressive if you if you like reach out and send an email, hey, can we talk? Is that aggressive at that point to copy the, the principal on that? Should it go to the teacher first and the next step is engage the principal? Or is that no, no big deal? I think in this case, um, you know, sending that email... And letting them both know, hey, I'm noticing these concerns about my child. Um, lay them out. Don't just be very vague. Sure. Like, I think they're they're struggling. But, like, tell tell them, like, I think they're struggling in math. I don't think that they know their numbers or they're struggling with adding or multiplying or whatever it is. Um, and in reading, like, do they know all of their letters and sounds? Do they know? Um, are they blending? Um, any of those things. Like, if you see that they're struggling, I would just lay it out and say, hey, I want to talk to you guys about these things and how we can provide additional support for my child. So you said okay. something to us when we when we started a few minutes ago about how long it usually takes parents to take that step and how expensive that delay can be. So yeah. um, share with us a little bit about, about the website you were reading the other yeah. day. 
So I really um, find a lot of interesting information about teaching reading and interventions on um, a website called Reading Rockets. And something I read um, just this week said that from the time a parent notices a concern in their child until they take action is about a year. And that year is actually very costly because the earlier you can do interventions, the better. Um, and then the most alarming statistic I've seen is that um, by the end of fourth grade, if a child isn't reading proficiently, um, three quarters of that population will either end up in prison or on welfare. Um, it's not impossible to avoid that outcome, but three quarters is a right. huge amount of those. When you when you students. learn that you're a failure and you can't do something, that becomes a self fulfilling cycle because you're not a failure. You just mm -hmm. need supports. Yeah, and so now, Vivian, you were talking a little bit about a growth curve and learning curve, and, and I think that that's really yeah. relevant. Yeah. At this point, because we've got, I've certainly got some parents whose attention we have yeah, absolutely. Ah. So if you look at look at a learning curve, it's very similar to a growth curve, right? Where um, if you look at your child's growth curve and you see like the 50th percentile, 90, 100, whatever, in the beginning, there's going to be very little difference between all of them. And as you grow up, as you grow up the curve and you get older, the differences are, are bigger or there's, there's more of a difference. So when my kiddos needed to go to a neuropsych to get evaluated, um, she explained it perfectly. She said, like, what you're seeing is a tra the trajectory of your kids learning where their brain is right now and they're on this curve. But with the appropriate intervention, they can pop up to be where they need to be. So if you think like a three-year-old, that little bit of a pop might just be like helping with a little bit of fine motor, helping with a little bit of grasping. Whereas if you go all the way to six or seven, there's all this development that should have happened and now they're even further behind. Um, That's really cool because it immediately reminded me of some friends of ours uh, who had an infant um, and this infant was not supposed to be able to really maybe even survive. Um, but through immediate uh, pediatric infant occupational therapy and things like that, this child is running and swimming and, and, and like neurologically blossoming. Mm -hmm. She's 10 or 11 now. And, and it's just incredible what early intervention God has, God has just shown us how incredible the brain is and, and that the brain can heal and the brain can make connections that sometimes that's just, it takes more work. Mm -hmm. Um, but so go ahead, Elizabeth on, so a parent notices something, contacts the school and may take a couple times because school like when when it was our son was like oh this is normal boys are just a little bit behind they'll catch up to figure out oh wait this is different right so and it was actually one of the teachers that came to us and went nope this is this is actually different than what i'm seeing mm -hmm. um which was super helpful but go ahead what what happens next and i would say if you get that response of let's wait boys are boys or this can be typical i would push back on that right away and I would say that you want your child to start the MTSS process, which is the multi-tiered student support process. And that's a team at your school or your child's school that is usually their classroom teacher. Um, at my school, it's the principal. Um, it's somebody who's actually the coordinator for it, the school psychologist. Right. Um, sometimes it's a special education teacher, but there's a lot of people on this team and they look at all of the data on your child. So they'll look at their test scores, their um, their grades any observations um, anything that anybody has to say 
Right. Parents aren't typically involved in this, but they can be. And then the team comes up and says, these are the type of interventions that we want to try that we think could work. And so they'll try interventions for six weeks. And at, after six weeks, they will reconvene and say, yeah, and they're progress monitoring the whole time. So they will um, look at the data then and see, you know, the student isn't growing or the student is growing. And then they'll come up with a plan from there. Typically with interventions, if the child is making growth in six weeks, you likely can stop there and say, you know, we just need to keep doing interventions. They're doing really well with this. At six weeks, if they are still struggling, that's when it might trigger a special education evaluation. Right. And that's where you would get a call as a parent and they say, we would like to do an evaluation. Let's come in for a consent meeting. Um, and then it would kind of move from there. But that, um, that MTSS process, I think, would be the biggest um, starting point for a family that they think their child's struggling, that will give you a lot more information. Right. And as parents who have interacted with multiple public schools, um, with our foster kids as well mm -hmm. as our own, I will say at some schools, you have to advocate a little louder for yes. that. Um, and sometimes you do have to CC some supervisors and things like mm -hmm. that because our teachers are overworked. Everybody here knows our teachers are overworked. The system is, is really hard. Um, but you know your kid. Mm -hmm. And so advocate yeah. unashamedly, respectfully, yeah. but unashamedly. You're your child's biggest advocate. Right. And so if you are concerned, just continue to push back and ask for that MTSS process. And I think it's probably also important at this point to, to confront something that can be a really fearful process for parents mm -hmm. because we, we think we're labeling our kid or everybody's afraid that, like, I'm just going to call this out. Like, we all have those stereotypes that go, yeah. oh, no, you're going to put my kid in special ed. Right. Does this mean my kid is dumb? Um, and that's not what we're talking right. about. No. What we're talking about here is the ability to give our kids the supports that they need to become the people that they can be. Um, and while a lot of us who grew up in public school are still trying to shed some of those really right. bad stereotypes, the fact of the matter is that's not what we're talking about. There are brilliant kids who have learning disabilities in a single area, mm -hmm. and our experience of this was really unhobbling a kid who was brilliant instead of trying to make him run um, attached to a system which was always going to make it harder for him and to be able to cut him free and give him the supports that he needed was fantastic. Um, it, it doesn't have to be a fearful process for parents or kids. Yeah. It can actually be a really liberating, freeing, successful process right. mm -hmm. for kids and families. Yeah. So with the special ed, um, since I'm in the special ed department, I'll kind of shed some light. So yeah. the schools, we are working with kids. We're talking about growth charts and we're talking about norms, right? So if your kid is one or two standard deviations from normal. So if your 50 is normal, standard deviation would be 70 or 80. If you're one or two standard deviations outside of that, you're technically special ed. So you, if there are gifted and talented kids right. are special education. Yeah. Our life skill kids are special education. Most of what general education does is it is going to give the kids that are in the middle what they need but if you're outside of that you are going to need more accommodations you're going to need more things so that they we are working the way your brain needs to work mm -hmm. so it's absolutely nothing like your kids are dumb because we right. have our very special very very gifted kids they're special education right and neurolog we have to remember <laughs> that neurological and medical differences diversity um 
does not speak to intelligence. Like, that's finally a stereotype I think we're beginning to break as a society. But it's, um, like, your nonverbal kiddos still excel in many, many ways. Mm -hmm. And and we have to stop um, deciding that we have, a, we have a much more nuanced understanding of intelligence right. yeah. than we used to have. And it's important that we that we bring that into play when we have yes. this discussion. Well, yes. the, learner, the learner is always right. So if they are not learning, it is the teacher that's doing something wrong. Yeah. Ah, that's very much in therapeutic behavior. That sounds like you're, you're find the need behind the behavior. Mm-hmm. The behavior is screaming out for help. Yep. Find the need. Yeah. I've always told parents, their kids are smarter than I am. I just need to figure it out how they're telling me. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. 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 So what happens next? You have the multi-tiered mm-hmm. deal, the six weeks. They yeah. decide either, yes, we need to move forward with some more interventions, or this mm-hmm. seems to be working, let's continue. And as a parent, do you get to speak into that? Um, yes. And can I back up just a second, Yes. Though? Because you were talking about... Um, you know, having that stigma and being worried about where your child's at. There's eight, like, we have a triangle or a pyramid that we think of when it comes to um, students and how they receive instruction, and 80% of your kids are going to just get it. And then there's 15% that are going to need more interventions, and that's looking at a single classroom. And then there's 5% that are going to need um, special education supports. And so that's that 5%. If your child right. is still struggling at that um, at that six-week mark, they're not really making any growth. And we talked about the two standard deviations mm-hmm. below or above, um, and they're still struggling, then that's whenever um, you would get that phone call for a consent for special education testing. Right. And at that point, you would be pulled in completely. So during the other part, the MTSS process, you may or may not be involved. If you want to be involved and you've requested that, let them know. Let them know you want to be a part of it. Because you might have insights that, I mean, you definitely right. have insights that the school does not have. Right. And the teachers don't have. Right. Because um, you're with your kids most of the time. You're right. their biggest advocate. Um, right. So so what happens next? Yeah. So whenever you're pulled in for an evaluation or a consent for evaluation, you'll look at specifically the areas that need to be evaluated, whether it is reading, writing, math, if there's behavior or social skills, if there's... Um, Speech or OT or yeah. sensory. Mm-hmm. Yes, any of those mm-hmm. things. And you'll um, they'll check mark it on the consent form. Right. And then you'll sign consent. You'll say, yes, I consent. I agree that you can test in these areas. And as soon as that consent is signed, the school district has 90 days to complete testing. Um, and so for academics, that's what I mainly work with because I am a resource teacher. And so if a student um, has consent signed for reading, writing, and math, then in that 90-day window, I test them with um, one of our standardized tests that we have, and I I give it, and my school psychologist actually scores it. And um, at that point, we will have the results at the end of the evaluation window. So you'd be pulled back for an evaluation um, summary meeting is what it's called, and so you go over the entire evaluation and at that point the team and the parents whether or not you're told that are the biggest most important member of the team you all make a decision whether or not your student qualifies for special education or not and you do they do have to meet certain criteria but your voice is the most important one there so i have a couple of significant questions Mm -hmm. i think Um, maybe i just like to think they're significant (laughs) in any case in that process 
how do we talk about this to our kids? How do we, as parents, with kids going through this process, how do we describe this process to our kids? How should we, how should we discuss this so that they understand what's going on and so that they can buy in? So for the academic testing, it's usually the teachers who do it. And so they're already going to be working with someone that they do and there's already tests that happen. So it doesn't need to be because one thing we really need is for it to be their normal performance, right? Oh, so if we make a big deal out of it, then the performance might be off because they're trying to like make it really good or make it really bad depending on how they want right. to do it. Um, and that's why like observations are usually during class that they're normally comfortable in. So we try to make it as unobtrusive as possible okay. so that we're seeing normal behavior. And you need parents to cooperate with that because if they psych a kid up for a test or an observation, they can skew everything you're trying to do. And half of the time, parents don't know when the observations happen. Right. So right. when I do observations, I just show up. I might tell the teacher. I might not tell the teacher. Um, I just show up during a time when I think they're going to act normally. And if they say, like, they have a hard time with specials, I'm going to show up to specials one random day, you know? And just so that I can see really normal behavior. That's pretty much how most of everything works. The, the speech therapists and the OT have their own special test that they do that's outside of that, and so they would be pulled mm -hmm. for that. But again, that's something that parent we don't, like the teacher might know about it, but we don't tell the kids because we don't want to psych them up. Okay, mm -hmm. I think that's fair. So my other question, and Vivian, I think this is a specific one for you because I know you guys are, as a family, relatively new to public school. Mm -hmm. If, because we've talked to so many of our We've talked to so many of our families who are homeschool families. How did you negotiate that with your kids from a homeschool perspective? What supports are there that they should be looking for? If they don't have somebody like Elizabeth, yeah. who's immediately on that, and like you guys together, jump in here. But how do we, what do our homeschool families need to know? So my kids are older, so they were able to advocate for themselves. So Audrey, they... One of the first things I did was I sent the school their neuropsych reports, their audiologist reports, and so the school team already knew that there was something happening, and I was like, I don't know if they need supports, but they might, they might not, and so their teachers were already like, okay, well, we'll kind of just track it to see if any supports are needed, and Audrey has like horrible test anxiety, and so I encouraged her to go talk to all of her teachers about it, and so she actually negotiated that she can retake tests yeah. she's like the only one who can do that but it's one of those things where like you need to figure out what you think your kids might need and then you go to the teacher so even before the special ed process because they're technically we haven't had a consent meeting or whatever like their teachers are already like oh okay we'll keep track of this and this is an accommodation that will work. Can I press pause for just a second? Yep. Because I think that was huge right there, is teaching your child that they have voice and that they can self-advocate. Um, because that's, for us, because ours have been through the system the entire time, or through public school, uh, we, when when our kiddo who has, who has some dyslexia and ADD and whatnot, he actually participated... He has participated in every IEP meeting we've ever had. Now, sometimes he just comes in for the last 10 minutes, but um, he comes in because he has to give his final say-so. Because if he's not going to engage with it or he's like, this ain't going to help, 
then what was the point of all of this? But I think teaching our children that they have voice and that they can self-advocate and teaching the adults in the room, you have to listen to my kid too. Like their voice matters. It's mm-hmm. super, super important. Um, so Elizabeth, what were you going to share about? So if you have a homeschool student that's younger and isn't like right. able to advocate and say, hey, I need more supports or accommodations, which are things, accommodations are things that you can put in place to help your student. Right. You're not modifying the work. You're helping them right. access it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but if you have a student that's younger and they are homeschooled, you can still reach out to the school district for an evaluation. Yes. And, I mean, I have two students right now at my school, one on my caseload that comes in for special education services for just a couple of hours a day. So I can provide those interventions and supports, but they do the rest of their schooling at home. So, you so as a homeschool parent, I can call the school and say, hey, mm-hmm. my kid, we are a homeschool family, but will you help us with this evaluation? Absolutely. Yes. Definitely call the school okay. district, the special education office, and they can yes. set that up with your neighborhood school. I it's think phenomenal. that's probably going to be earth shattering. Yeah. Some of our families mm-hmm. would go, well, they qualify. What? You pay taxes, so your kids right. qualify for all the education services. Right. Mm-hmm. Even though you're home. And there are, at least in Anchorage, I believe, one or two preschool options that will help if you have a child who who has some and it's it's not easy to get into it's pretty difficult to qualify but i know a couple of families who have um and have benefited from it enormously so check so check with your school system we're learning benefits from engaged active yes and the other thing that you mentioned was families need to know i think it's it's why that whole one year matters so much This process is lengthy. Yeah. And so if you wait until February, mm-hmm. when you kind of thought maybe in June it was an issue, yeah. um, you've lost another entire school year. Right. And so um, get yeah. the get it started as quickly as you can. Definitely. So that maybe by the beginning of the next school year, everything's in place. Mm-hmm. So this has been a fantastic conversation, but I want to respect time. Yeah. But I also want to close with this. If you two ladies were going to boil this down to a single top tip and say families need to know this thing what would that thing be? I mean a big one is that you have resources available um, in the school district and even if even if the school district says like they don't qualify for extra services talk to your doctor about it because Medical OT speech is different than school OT speech. Mm-hmm. So you could be getting both, or you can maybe be getting one and not the other. So ju- if you think your child needs help, there are multiple ways to get your child Don't help. Don't stop the first time they tell you no. Exactly. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. So that, that's what I would say. Continue to push back. Continue to advocate for your child. Yeah. Awesome. You Incredible. are your child's primary advocate. Yes. And you're not alone, and they do want to help. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. This has been a lot of fun. This has been absolutely fascinating. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you guys for joining us on Brown Shag Carpet. And um, we want to help. So feel free to communicate with us, whether it's through comments or emails or any of those things. Um, We want to be part of this process with you. Thank you for your time as well. You guys have a great day.